Sal Barry. The bro cases are out in full force. No mistaking that. Those are here to stay. And Tim Parrish. You got none of those correctly, but who's keeping track? This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to a long overdue episode of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today our big topic is going to be Upper Deck Series 1 for the 2022-23 season. We're also going to talk about some other hockey hobby news and a few other things, this and that, tidbits, interesting things uh, that we like to talk. We'll probably go off on a few tangents like we always do on this show. Apologies, though, that it's been about three weeks since our last episode. Seems like I was busy, Tim was busy, I wasn't feeling well, or Tim was busy, or I was doing stuff. Tim was doing parenting stuff. It's funny because I'd be like, oh, sorry, can't do a podcast. I'm doing a show tomorrow or whatever. And Tim would be like, oh, I got to do parent stuff. So it's funny that I'm like doing all these things like going to card shows and setting up at card shows. And you're like taking your kids to piano practice or baseball or rugby or whatever sports they play. Uh, Yeah, you got none of those correctly, but who's keeping track? Well, I got Uh, the kids part right, right? You have kids. Yes, I do have children, although I'm not sure they can be called kids anymore. They're older now. Well, okay, one's... One's in college and the other two are in high school, so I do have them, and there were some things going on last week, some awards banquets and whatnot, so I'm here now. I'm upright. I'm sucking air, so things are good. So I actually, I just mentioned a, a minute ago that I was doing shows. I did set up at the Chicago Sports Spectacular in November, and then I set up at the Ludex show in December. I feel and like we need a, a sound effect for that. Every time you say the Chicago Sports Spectacular, it should be like, spectacular, regular, regular. Like you an know, echo, like, echo, yeah. echo, sibilance, sibilance, sibilance. Yeah, right. Exactly. We need that effect. Um, like the buttons to press. You know, now that I've been doing shows for about a year and a half, Uh, I mean, I did do a show in November of 2019. I did do the Chicago Sports Spectacular then, and that's right when I launched my T-shirt business, if you could call it that. I I always hesitated to say business, like, do I put it in finger quotes, or how do I imply lowercase b? Although it is like an actual, legit LLC business. It doesn't like one shirt, then it's a business. May not be a good one, but it's a business nonetheless. I did okay selling shirts this year, not enough to like retire on, but enough that I say, okay, there might be something in this. But the thing is, is that in 2019, I set up at a show and I just sold t-shirts at that show. And then I was going to do the next show in 2020 and then the pandemic, blah, 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 this and that. So then I didn't do a show again until the national in 2021. And that's like when I brought cards and brought everything and said, you know what, I'm not going to just sell t-shirts I'm going to just sell a bunch of stuff and just see what that's like. And that's when I caught the bug and said, I enjoy this. I enjoyed this when I was a teenager and I used to set up at shows once a month. And of course, it's it's easy to say this is fun when you set up at a show like the National and you make money. I mean, it was a great confidence booster versus setting up at a show in 2010. Actually, I did set up at a show in 2010. That's why I mentioned that year. And like, I think my table was $40. And I think I literally made $40 in sales that day. It was so soul crushing and so confidence crushing. Like, oh man, I'm not any good at this. You know, it took me another 10-ish years to kind of get the bug again and try it. My just observation 
that I, I'm trying to build up to is that it definitely seems like the fervor has died down a bit. Card collecting is still a very strong hobby, and it is still bigger now than it was prior to 2020. But there was definitely more of a buzz in 2021, even doing that show in November of 2021 or even March of 2022 than now. Now it just kind of feels like it's dying off a bit where it seems to me like there's less investment-minded people. Now, don't get me wrong. The bro cases are out in full force. No mistaking that. Those are here to stay. But it seemed like there were a lot less casual investors. Like, I'm going to buy some Connor McDavid cards because I hear he's a good player. And the guys with the bro cases are like, I'm only buying Connor McDavid PSA 10 Young Guns. Or they're trying to sell you a Connor McDavid PSA 10 Young Gun. I remember even like at the National, not the one in 2022, but 2021, there were like people who were just speculatively buying cards. Like, okay, this guy's a good player. I'm going to buy some of his high-end insert cards. I don't necessarily need to have the Young Gun. I want to buy everything. My joke is now people don't collect cards. They only chase after the same five cards. And that's what it feels like. Because everybody wants the same five or ten cards. Of course, that varies depending on what month it is or what's going on. I mean, in June, July, August, it was Kale McCarr. Yeah, and I think it still is to some extent. But it's more or less, it follows what's hot, you know. So if you have any of the casual people that are always trying to jump on what the latest trends are, they're going to flock to what is being talked about. And if you listen to hockey media, I mean, everybody latches on to what's going on right now. So, I mean, look at the prices of Jason Robertson cards. They're almost oh, yeah. unattainable right now. Not only that, you have, uh, what's his name in Buffalo too, whose cards are essentially- Tage Thompson. Tage Thompson, yeah. I mean, you can't buy a Tage Thompson rookie card anymore. And it's like, you know, here's these guys that, I don't want to say they came out of nowhere because they're both excellent players. Right. This time last year, no not even close so yeah i see what you're saying on that you know everybody's chasing kind of the same things you got the people that are the fly-by-nights that come on and whatever's hot that's what they're going after and then you've got the people that are constantly focused on you know the same i need a gretzky rookie i need an ovechkin young gun i need a crosby Mm -hmm. young gun i need a Mm -hmm. mcdavid young gun and that's fine i mean those are going to be the pinnacle piece cards that are actually in the hobby but the same time you know if you've got 100 people that come to your table in the course of a weekend for a show 78 of them are like looking for those five cards right i mean really what do you what do you expect to happen at that point because even if you did have them how many are you going to have you know definitely right. not 100 so and i think it's disappointing when you have like a nice assortment of cards but because you don't have the one specific card that they want like Somebody came to me, he's like, I, I can't remember if he wanted, we'll just say Trevor Zegras, just for argument's sake. And I say, oh, well, you know, I got this rookie card that's numbered out of 299. And he looked at me like I was insulting him. Yeah, 299, you might as well said it was out of 20,000, because that's what people hear. Right. They but don't, they don't think gun, that's low numbered. Right, but, but we all agree that the, the young guns have a huge print run. Huge is an understatement. Right. So, I mean, you you have something like 
a, a Trevor Zegers young gun and there's like tons of them out there. And then you have something like, I think this was like an exquisite rookie card that was numbered out of like 299, if I remember correctly. And like no interest in it. People will say, oh, do you have any blah, blah, blah. And it's like, if I don't have the young gun, they look at me like I'm crazy or stupid. Well, yeah, I could buy the young gun for $80 on eBay and then try to sell it to you here at the show for $90. But guess what? You're going to tell me that it sold for $80 on eBay and that's all you want to pay. So it almost kind of becomes a pointless endeavor. Do I want to spend $100 on a card that I'm only going to sell for 100 or 110 No, I mean, the idea is, is you buy it and you hang on to it. I'll give you like another, for instance, somebody came to me and he's like, do you have any Cole Caulfield Young Guns? Now, this was a couple shows back. And I said to him, I do. I said, but I don't think I want to sell them right now. He's like, oh, I said, well, I said, it's like right now it's selling at like 60 bucks. And I said, and I don't think I want to sell it around that price. I said, I think this kid is going to be great. And I really have no incentive to put it in my case with the $60 price tag. I'd rather just hang on to it for a year or two or three or five. Maybe not five, but you get my point. Again, I'm a collector. So if I have, you know, a couple of his young guns, I'm not going to be like, oh, no, what am I going to do? These are taking up space in my collection. I'm going to be like, these are cool. You know what I mean? That's one example where I certainly don't think he's going to be a bust. And even if you look four or five years down the road, I still think he's going to be a decent player. So No, but the thing was is that the demand for his card dipped in the late summer, early fall. It was like a $50, $60 card. Because, you know, when I was looking for comps, I was trying to just kind of gauge where it was at. And I just said, uh, it's like when I have a card that I think is worth $20 and I look it up and it's like selling for like a dollar or two. Sometimes I yeah. just put it aside. I just say, well, I like this card. I'm just going to keep it. I, I, I don't want to part with it for a dollar. I'm just going to hang on to it. So Yeah, these people are crazy. I don't know what they're doing. Why are they selling these so cheap? So, yeah, I definitely uh, see that all the time as I'm looking through stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this card should be whatever. And then you see it and it's like 50 cents. Like, really? 50 cents? Okay. I'm in the wrong business. I'm just going to go yeah. back to it. But I do. That's probably one of the big reasons why I don't sell. Oh, and that's the other thing I'll say again. I'll reiterate. It is work. It is time and it is work. Sure. Absolutely. So, you know, like when these hobby bros talk about, oh, you got to grind every day. And they all say that. Oh, you got to grind. You got to grind. You got to grind. Right. I think they say that because it sounds cool. But you do have to grind in a way. Now, grinding, they're referring to like in video games, where you do a boring, repetitive action over and over so that your character levels up in experience so that he becomes stronger and then can take on a bigger opponent. Wow. I was wondering where that's where that came from. Before there was a word for it, I remember when I'd play Legend of Zelda, I would like go back to the old labyrinths and just beat up on bad guys that I knew I could beat to get the coins, to get the hearts, Zelda 2, you know, to get the magic points and to get the attack points so that I could level up. But it's boring. And I mean, that's what people will do in like massive online role-playing games, you know, where they'll just do the same thing over and over and they'll just level up like crazy killing wolves or whatever. In the card world, to me, grinding is like doing the research, knowing your customers, and trying to have the right cards for the right people at the right show. Like, 
The Ludic show that I did most recently, I didn't even put out any vintage. I put out a few stacks, but I didn't even take them out of the rubber bands. They just said like, hockey, 1981 to 1990, 1990 to 1999. And then like I had like pretty much everything just stacked by decades. And then I had like 1979 and earlier. And I think I pulled out a Boreas Salming rookie card that I brought with me to the show just because, you know, he passed away. Rest in peace. I figured somebody might want his rookie card, and I had a couple of them. And I just said, well, this seems like the kind of player that somebody would ask about. Nobody asked about anything vintage, so I didn't even bother. I mean, everybody just wanted, like, modern, like, within the past two years. That's not even modern to me. That's ultra-modern. I'll tell you, like, one story that's very telling. This father and son, I watched them go through my boxes. I had two two two-column boxes one was like $5 cards. The other box was like superstar cards priced anywhere from like $1 to $10. They're more than $10. They go in the display case. If 10 or less, they go in like my superstar box, right? So this father and son, they spent like 30, 40 minutes going through the boxes. They didn't buy anything. And then they like looked at some of the cards in the cases. And that's fine because it's free to look. And hey, you know what? I've looked at tables and not bought anything. I don't feel like guilty or compelled to buy stuff. But he was a little like, oh, are those the prices? And I said, hey, man, if you buy a few things, I'll always work with you. He's like, oh, okay. And he like walked off. And I'm just like, wow, these guys spent like almost an hour at my table and they didn't buy anything. And again, that's their right. But I'm guessing that's that. Crazy. No, because you have a lot of people and they look up the cards. I Actually, I don't know if they were comping the cards. I had one guy at one show. He spent probably close to an hour, he photographed every card in my $5 box. Photographed? He put it down on the table in front of him. He held his phone over it. Then he put it back in the box and he grabbed the next card, put it down on the table, held his phone over it. He was using Uh, one of those apps. Yeah, he had one of those pricing apps. Uh, There's a bunch of them out there. But yeah, yep, that's what he's doing. So that's what I'm saying. Like, Whereas other people will be like, Oh, wow, cool. An Alex Ovechkin sticker for five bucks. And you and me might know that that's probably like a five to ten dollar thing, you know, depending on the year, how hard the Opeachy stickers were to get, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. But they're looking at it and they're just like, oh, I can't sell this. I can't I can't sell this for ten or a hundred or whatever. I don't know. Right. I know I'm ranting now and we should probably move on because I'm really not bitter about this. I'm kind of amused by it. It's kind of the world we live in now. I mean, that's really what it is. Everybody's wanting to cut a deal because they're looking to sell it off on the back end. When you find the collectors that are actually collecting for collecting sake, you know, those are the ones that you strike up the conversation with. And, you, you know, you talk and they'll sit there and they'll go through all your stuff and they'll discuss cards and they'll have stories and things like that it's the other people where's your ovechkin rookies oh Mm -hmm. this is a psa nine uh i want a 10 right that stuff is all silly to me but you know that's not my bag people collect however they want to collect and there's nothing i can do about it so let's talk about connor mcdavid so mcdavid re-upped his contract with upper deck as an exclusive athlete exclusive autograph signer for Upper Deck for who knows how long or how much. They sent a press release out about it last week. They were all excited about this. And it just kind of made sense because honestly, who else is he going to sign with? Leaf? 
Well, I mean, if you're going to do an exclusive license for autographs and everything like that, there's so many companies now that are trying to get in on the whole autograph licensing and memorabilia licensing thing that there's a lot of choices out there. But if you're really looking for something that's going to get your brand and your visage, if you will, across mm-hmm. the board, I mean, let's face it, Upper Deck's the only one with an NHL license. So unless you're going to have cards and whatnot of just you in street clothes standing there and leaning against the wall or like a glamour shot picture, it's really nothing to do. I did see that he has a, a deal with May Gray to, to sell memorabilia, like his own stuff like jerseys and, and whatnot. And they've got a couple sets of his skates up for auction now for almost 10 grand a piece. So is that, that per uh, skate or for the pair? That's for the pair. They have two sets of them. But they're both like nine thousand nine hundred and some odd cents, so it's about ten grand. Are you sure they didn't just start it at nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-seven? I have no idea. It could be. I mean, that could be the sense. opening bid. But yeah, the upper deck thing. I guess it should come as no surprise. I just thought it was interesting that that popped up. That here's, uh, you know, arguably the the best player in the NHL, the face of the NHL right now, and you know he. Re-ups his long-term deal. So is he going to be like Gretzky, you know, who has like a lifetime contract with Upper Deck? Well, if you are an athlete in baseball, football, or basketball, you have more options. Because, yeah, you might do an exclusive with whomever the card manufacturer is, or you might do an exclusive with Fanatics. Like sometimes you'll see Fanatics sells autograph memorabilia and they'll put in the description a fanatics exclusive athlete or like when you see guys autographing at shows and it'll say so and so appears courtesy of abc promotions or whatever so the player will have an exclusive deal with that company or whatever but i think if you're a hockey player upper deck doesn't just make hockey cards they make all sorts of hockey things you know so they can sell photos merchandising 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 i know one thing that they're pushing and i forget the name of it and and i feel bad because they uh they're tell they talked about it on the press release and then like their pr guy followed up with me and he's like hey sal i want to just make sure you got our press release about connor mcdavid i'm like oh yeah i did um, and then he's like, oh, well, you know, we have this really cool Connor McDavid thing where it's like plexiglass and it's like a piece of stick going through the plexiglass. And I'm just thinking, how the heck am I going to display that? I mean, I get it. It's like it goes on your wall, but we like oh, things that are kind of yeah. flat on the wall. Yeah. You're talking you know? about the sharpshooters. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. I saw those. They look really cool, but man. They do. I, I don't know. That's. But they're probably cool. like four grand. Yeah, that's a little too rich for my blood. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's all about the merchandising stuff. And where I said, you know, May Gray's taking some of this memorabilia, selling some skates that he wore. Upper Deck does it a little differently where they're selling actual merchandise that they create, you know, photos and, and things like that, where he's autographed or, or something of that nature. So a little different animal because it's it's more created memorabilia rather than actual not that they don't have jerseys and stuff like that of his, but the vast majority of it, it's all that upper deck authentic right. stuff. You know, all the fancy things you get out of like the the uh, monumental boxes when they have those at the National. I never seriously consider 
buying a monumental box, but they'll always be like, oh, we're going to have a special on monumental boxes at the National for $500. And I'll be like, okay, what's in a monumental box? And it's like, well, you'll get like one golf thing, one baseball thing, one hockey thing, and one basketball thing, or maybe a football thing. And I'm just like, wow. So 75% of it is stuff that I don't care about. You never know. You could make a couple bucks off of a few of the things that they've thrown in there. You might or you might not, because if but, it was able to sell by itself, they would just sell it by itself, right? I will tell you this. I haven't seen them 500 bucks since I think the first year they did them. Well, I, I, that, I, after that, they probably, went up to a grand and they've continually gone up from there. I think last year they okay. were 1100 1200 something like that. And they okay. even had a higher level one, too. But tons of cool stuff. I've seen people open like lots of them, but. You know, again, other than some signed jerseys and stuff like that, a lot of it is the manufactured things like, you know, a framed picture or, or in this case, the sharpshooter with the stick breaking through the plexiglass. So that's cool. I guess if I had a quote unquote man cave like you do, then I would maybe consider it. But I'm kind of more of the guy who would rather have like I'll give you like a for instance the thing that I wanted to buy, but I didn't because I had no room for it, was when I was set up at the Chicago Sports Spectacular in June, there was a dealer from Canada, and he had a Tim Hortons Sidney Crosby cardboard stand-up. It wasn't cut out like a stand-up. It was on like a red backdrop, but it was probably about three feet wide by four feet tall, or maybe it was four by four. It was big. And he had a really good asking price on it. It was like 40 bucks or 30 bucks or something. And then like I had something he wanted and he says, well, well, if you give me this, I'll knock this much off of it. And I'm like, dude, I would love to have that, but I got no place to hang it. And even not hanging it, I just got no place to stash it. But that's the kind of stuff that I'd rather collect or like the Mario Lemieux growth chart. See, that's the kind of thing that I would want to put on my wall. I mean, more so than a hockey stick breaking through the plexiglass. And I know that like one is more valuable. One probably looks cooler, but I think the other one is just kind of neat. I don't know what I'm getting at. It's not like it necessarily has to be a vintage thing. Yeah. Yours is, yours is more of a space concern versus, you know, the practicality of it all, I think. You know, I have stuff just because I have the space for it. You know, most yep. of the stuff that's on my walls is photos and pictures and posters and that kind of thing. I do have some cards and some card holders and some various other things, but vast majority is that. I don't have a stick. I've got a blade of a stick. I've got a blade of mm-hmm. Crosby's, a Crosby blade from his rookie season. It's just up on the wall. It's not like framed or anything. Because I'm lazy and I don't frame stuff like I should. But I could see putting a couple sticks on the wall. That would look cool. I got a space right over here. I could stick them. So talk to us about PSA in the news. The whatnot partnership or? What's that? What's yeah. up? Yeah, exactly. What's um, going on? Hey, hey, so hey. If you don't know what whatnot is, it's it's essentially a site you can go to. It's a streaming site, but it's also a marketplace so it's become a haven for breakers and collectors to show off their collections and open product and things like that. It's like having a live store where you're filming all the time, but you know, breakers have used it. Look, I'm not a huge fan of it. I don't do a lot of breaks. 
hardly any, if at all. And as we know, the way some breakers have gotten popular, uh, it's kind of gotten a little ridiculous and it's led to some less than above board activity, but I'm not put, putting this on them. But remember, this is the company that uh, not too long ago opened that fake quote unquote 86, 87 Fleer basketball box, or at least they sponsored it. It turned out to be jacked up and everything else. But wait, 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 hold on. Inquiring minds want to know what can you tell me about this fake basketball box? It's one of those ones that they acquired that was sir. Yes, it, yes, it was a real box. Yes, the packs were there and it was authentic and everything else. Was it searched? Possibly. Were the right packs in there? Maybe not. You know, was it set up by a authenticating group that has come under fire over the last couple of years for some of their <laughs> GI Joe type boxes <laughs> that they end up having. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was like a whole big thing. And it was when it was like around the national time and all of that kind of stuff when everybody was trying to jump on the, let's open this box of Fleer and get a bunch of Jordan rookies and then we'll get them all graded and everybody will make tons of money. And they did the one at the national right on the stage and they were opening packs and the influencers that were opening the packs had no idea what they were even looking for other than they knew they were looking for Jordan cards. And everybody else that was familiar with those packs was like, this is not how these are sequenced. Mm-hmm. And they were coming out of order with the wrong sequences of cards and everything else. And so that kind of thing. So there's multiples of these that had been authenticated, air quotes again. It's just one of them things in a long line of lists of scumbaggery. If that's not a word, we can make it a word that goes on in the world. And that's the thing. When there's tons of money to be had, then there's going to be tons of people trying to get their hands on it. So they taught themselves as the number one social commerce platform. You know, because of all the live streaming capabilities, it's kind of become like Twitch for sports cards. But anyway. The announcement was that PSA partnered with them. So basically you can get your trading cards authenticated and sent the PSA directly through the whatnot app. If you go into breaks, there's the ability to then have your cards sent through the whatnot app directly to PSA to be authenticated. And then okay. they created and authenticated encapsulated and shipped to the buyers. I don't know of a grading company partnering with something like this. So it's definitely interesting. If you're into that kind of thing, it's probably great for you. But again, another questionable company that does nefarious things all the time and scumbaggery constantly partnering with a company of the same ilk, I think. And, uh, this couldn't possibly go wrong, could it? No, absolutely not. So let me um, just ask one for one point of clarification. Sure. Whatnot is a platform. Correct. It's not a breaker. It is a platform that breakers use. Correct. And not just and, breakers. It's a buyer and seller live streaming shopping area. So if you think of this, think of you go to the local flea market. And yeah. You walk in and to the right. There's a table and they've got 
vintage clothing. And then the next table, he's got car parts. And then the next table, he's got more vintage clothing. And the next well, guy's basically got you're describing cards. a card show. Yeah, only this is everything. Think of it this way. You're going to all of these and you're not just like looking at them like if you went on eBay and typed in 1970s bell-bottom jeans mm -hmm. and you saw a bunch of pictures. This isn't that. This is here's Susie Snowflake in her little place of vintage clothing and she's actually live on camera showing you all of the clothing that she has for sale and doing shows throughout the day as part of their selling. So for a breaker, this is great because they don't have to use their own platform to push the media that they're trying to stream. They don't have to go mm -hmm. in and do YouTube and they don't have to do all this extra stuff. Whatnot provides them the capability to sell all of their stuff live through a live stream. And that's part of the thing. There have been live streaming platforms before. This integrates the shopping experience portion of it. I think it's a great concept. I really do. But with all great concepts that are trying to dip into a market that's ripe with money, this is now turned into a hive of scum and villainy. To quote Star Wars. Yes, yeah. very nice. So yeah. anybody who breaks on whatnot can send their cards to PSA for a grading? Yeah, so basically if you go and find your favorite breaker and you buy cards from them, you can have them then because you're buying through the app, right? Mm -hmm. So the cards that you purchase through the app can then be chosen to sent to PSA to be authenticated and slabbed and graded and all of that kind of stuff and then shipped to you directly from PSA. Well, but the breaker still has to send the cards to PSA. So they're shipping them to PSA instead of to you. Somebody somewhere is, yes. And I'm not quite sure how that works, but I do know that WhatNot okay. controls most of this. So if you ever have an issue for things, and this is another comes up all the time, is people have issues with the sellers. You know, you sent me the wrong card. You dipped out on something I was supposed to get. I was supposed to get 20 cards and I only had 19 and the two hits are missing. Did you, mm -hmm. did you scam them from me? Did you take them from me? Your issue is not with the seller. Your issue is with whatnot. Because if you have a whatnot sponsored seller, whatnot takes the responsibility of all of that customer service. Interesting. So kind of like where eBay steps in to be the go-between between a buyer and seller, mm -hmm. whatnot basically is who you deal with. And mm -hmm. sellers nice. get a pass. That's why there's a big problem is because... There's no accountability, and it's essentially like the Wild West on there. You know, anybody can do anything as long as you get approved as a seller through the app. I will say this, like the biggest breakers that are out there, and I'm not going to promote them, but the biggest breakers that are out there, they break on whatnot. And they have mm. a deal with whatnot, and they have a sweet little setup. So this is what it is. But anyway, is this anyway. the future? Maybe. Could be. Uh, the fact that you can get directly through PSA through this now is definitely an interesting thing. We'll see how it goes. I don't know how long whatnot's going to be around, but this may be, we might see a bunch of copycats the next few years. Who knows? But yeah, this was, this was big for buyers on there. This is definitely a big deal. So you also have been doing some research about the most graded hockey cards. 
and you came to a very interesting conclusion, or maybe not conclusion. You made a very interesting observation, I should say. Well, as much as I don't grade cards and I'm not in the graded card community, nor do I buy graded cards if I don't forcibly have to, because it's something that I really, really, really want. I definitely don't send any myself, but I am curious all the time to see what happens because as we all know, if you take 10 people that are in the hobby right now, nine of them are probably going to be all about the graded cards and whether it's for their own personal collection or to flip or to sell, because that's just the way things are. So I always look at pop counts and things like that. And Gemrate always is good about updating their information. If you've ever looked at Gemrate, it's a website that is just a data miner for grading. Um, and so they throw up population reports for all sorts of things and you can you know, mess with it. And I was looking at, you know, for October, so it's December now, this is October data. And if you look at the top 10 most graded players of hockey cards and you go down the list out of the top 10 only three of those players would you consider not ultra modern players the rest of the players have debuted in some form or another over the last three seasons in the nhl and the only ones that haven't are crosby gretzky and mcdavid the rest of them are all fairly new players Maybe not necessarily rookies, but second year, third year. These are all like fresh faces. Mm-hmm. So essentially 70%, you know, based off of this, you just take a general statement out of the top 10, 70% of the top 10 are ultra modern players. I find that interesting. So I'm assuming it's like Kale McCarr, Kirill Kaprizov. That's two. These are guys that debuted in the past three years ish. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I bet you can yeah, at okay. least name two more. We well, already I... talked about one earlier. Oh, uh, Cole Caulfield. Uh, yep. Trevor Zegras. Actually, Zegras isn't on the list. Interesting. It's not in the top 10. Let's put it that way. Moritz Cider, probably not in the top 10 either. Cider is on the list. Oh, he is. Okay. Yeah. Because he won Rookie of the Year. Yep. But you know how people feel about defensemen. Yep. And, you know, to go to finish off the list, you got Sider's uh, teammate, Lucas Raymond, is on there. You got Tim Stutzla. You got Alexei Lafreniere. Oh, yeah, Lafreniere. That should have been my first guess. Yeah. So, you know, it's all guys like that. So, you know, the interesting thing is you look at that list, Noah Ovechkin. Here's a guy that's rolling yeah, up the charts that? of goals. He's under 100 now, going after Gretzky's record. And he's no longer on the list. He might be number 11. I don't know. I'm just looking at the top 10. But again, you look at this and, okay, Gretzky, Hall of Famer. McDavid, Crosby, future Hall of Famers. The rest of these guys, maybe, maybe not. Depends on what their career does. But where are the rest of the Hall of Famers? Well, There's so many. But- the Hall of Fame's been around forever. They bring in five to ten people every year. I mean, there's tons of hobby fire out there available. Where are the likes of the Patrick Waz and the Mario Lemieux and the Martin Brodeurs and the Joe Sackicks and, you know, those types of guys? I know there's tons of collectors out there. I know people chase their cards. I know there's very, very expensive versions of cards throughout time, yet... They don't crack a top 10 because it's what's hot right now. 
because it's what am I going to get the most money for if I get this graded? And what everybody's looking for are the hot right now guys. And this is the yeah. list of hot right now guys. Yeah, and let me just throw out like a quick example. So like I recently purchased a Moritz Cider Young Gun for about 60 bucks. Bought it on Com C during their Black Friday weekend sale. Okay, it's like 50, 60 bucks. I can't remember. I, it was a price I was happy paying. That's all that matters. So, you know, if I spend 60 bucks on that and if I send it to PSA for grading, well, you know, it's like a hundred dollar, 60 to a hundred ish dollar card. I'm not going to spend a ton of money getting it graded. It might take a long time or I might have to pay for rush delivery or rush grading. But, you know, let's just say 50 bucks to grade it. I think when I sent some cards to BGS back in November of 2021, I think it was about 50 or 60 a card, if I remember correctly. And BGS's prices has since gone down. But let's just say just for argument's sake, let's just say 50 bucks because we're not getting a Gretzky rookie graded. We're not getting a 52 mantle card graded. We're getting more ciders, young gun graded. So I might get the card for 60 bucks. I might pay 50, 60 bucks to get it graded. So that's 120. And I might have five of them and I might send all five of them. I hope that one or two of them comes back a PSA 10 and then wait a couple years and then sell it for, you know, 800, 1,000, whatever. You know what I mean? And so that's what it is, is everybody's playing the game with rookie cards that they could get relatively cheap. Because if I'm going to buy a Gretzky rookie that's raw and get it graded, that's going to cost me way more money to do all of that than if I buy something new. I mean, look, I just picked up a Matt Boldy young gun in a trade not too long ago. I could turn around and get that graded. I'm not going to, but I'm just saying like, and what would it cost? I mean, it's like a hundred dollar card right now. So I can't imagine PSA charging me an arm and a leg to get that graded. I'd still, you know, spend the money to get it graded. But, you know, if it comes back a PSA 10 and then eventually somebody wants to spend, you know, or, or if I want to sell it and somebody wants to pay a lot for it. You see what I mean? That's why we're getting all these recent guys. I mean, this was no different than the early 90s when I was buying lots of pro set and upper deck and setting those rookie cards aside. I mean, there was no grading back then, but I was putting them in penny sleeves and top loaders or card saver twos. You know, I have probably 50 or 60 Yager Pro Set rookies set aside. Well, they're not really set aside anymore. I just have them, you know, and probably about 40 or 50 score Yager rookies. You know what I mean? Like, it was kind of like the same idea. I don't know that I agree with that as it being the same idea. Because you sticking something in a top loader or putting it in sleeves and stuff like that, that's you doing it for your own benefit. But we're talking mm -hmm. about spending a ton of money above and right. beyond the acquisition cost of a card to send to a company that has people that are self-proclaimed experts with zero background and zero training and zero education because none of that exists. Sure, you have on-the-job training and experience doing whatever it is you're doing, but who says that you're an expert? You did. You said you're an expert. And you're giving these third-party people the ability to dictate price of that mm -hmm. card and control the price of that card. And you could send that same exact card to them on a Tuesday and the following Thursday, do it again, and it would come up with two completely different grades because it depends on the person, the day of the week, and what's going on, because 
all of that is very, very subjective. So you right. just sticking it in a top loader with the hopes that you can sell it later on down the road for twice of what you bought it for versus taking all of these extra steps and paying all of this extra money to have somebody else tell you what it's going to be worth. Right. It's a totally different thing. Totally different thing. Okay. I see what you're doing to try to make the parallel, but I don't agree that that's the same way to go. The point is, is that 30 years ago, people would set aside 50 or 100 of a card because they were easier. It was easier for me to get 50 Yarmir Yager rookie cards than it was for me to get 50 Mario Lemieux rookie cards. In Absolutely. retrospect, I wish I got 50 Mario Lemieux rookie cards. I should have found a way to make it happen. But Of course. I was going to retire were, off of Todd Van Poppel. Well, that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, everybody was going to retire off of their 89 Griffey Jr. rookies. You know, that didn't happen. You know, again, that a lot of that goes into overproduction and everything else and how that worked out. But, you know, again, here we are. We brought up already once, you know, the amount of young guns that are printed every year. It's an astounding number and we'll never know the exact amount. But it's an astounding number. And if you just look at what gets graded, the vast majority of cards that get graded in the hockey category are young guns for the players. I mean, look, if you look at a week of PSA and you run the list of the top players for the week, the top 100 list of players has one hockey player. Now, I shouldn't say player, subject, because there's a lot of trading card game subject cards in there and Pokemon and Magic and stuff like that, too. But if you look at the top 100 subjects, Wayne Gretzky is the only hockey in the top 100. Now, he was the top of the list for the top 10 hockey players that get graded. But he's in the top 100 because he is what he is. I mean, he's hockey. So that's the top bidding is, is where he where he falls. But if you look at the rest of that with all those modern guys, I bet if you took any snapshot of this list and you ran it back a year or two years or three years within grading, you're not going to get the same exact players, but I bet you're going to get the same results with the same two or three main guys. And then everybody else is going to be a rookie from either that year, the previous year, and it'll fill in the rest. Just because it's the immediacy of what's going on. Unless it's a major superstar or really different card or some kind of rookie vintage card from, you know, pre-1980. Heck, I would even say pre-1980 for the most part. I mean, you're really looking at, with very few exceptions, what's really the benefit? Honestly, I don't see it. I just don't. I just don't see it. Because everybody's chasing... Maybe, but do you need that for stuff that's made in hundreds of thousands of quantity? No, but if I was going to buy a Bobby Orr rookie card or if I came across a Bobby Orr rookie card, I yeah, would vintage, think about I get it. it. I totally yeah. get it with vintage. I totally get it. That makes sense to me. But, you know, the ultra modern stuff that's super high quantity, it blows my mind. That's the whole reason why these grading card companies got so far behind in what they were doing because. People were sending in base cards to get graded. It just piles of Yeah, piles. because because they could say it would be the only PSA 10 pro set Dave Manson error card. 
but the only PSA 10, pop one, right? So then they think now I'm going to take a, a nickel card and make it a $100 card by sending it to get graded. And then it becomes like this one of a kind thing. And it's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. I mean, it's even funny when you go to shows and you see people selling cheap slabs, or I hear them referred to as junk slabs. You look at it, it's like, oh, it's graded a seven near mint. And you and I go near mint. That's That sounds good to me. But it's like, Oh, but it's only a near mint card, so 10 bucks, right? Or whatever. How many people live by the philosophy that anything lower than a nine is might as well be the same as just ungraded? A raw card. So well, many people live by is, that philosophy. It's because the raw card has the potential to be a nine or a 10. Sure, but an but eight doesn't. No, because an eight's an eight. You know, it is right, what it so is. an eight can't be a nine, but a raw card could be a nine. I've sold some cards where people have looked very hard at them. I sold a Mario Lemieux rookie card, and this guy looked at it up, down, and sideways every which way he could look at it, and he bought it. And I said to him, I said, I hope it gets a high grade, and he just smiled. I knew what he was after. He wasn't like a Penguins fan. I mean, he could have been, but I'm not going to say, oh, I knew what he was up to. Like, I knew what he was doing. He was a money fan. I had another guy who bought a Mario Lemieux rookie card and he looked at it and he said, would you take this much for it? I said, yeah, sold. And he didn't look at it up, down and sideways. It probably wasn't as nice as the other one, but it wasn't like bad by any means. You know what I mean? So you could just kind of tell like (laughs) when somebody does everything shy of busting out the protractor to check the corners and whatnot. Yeah. Doing that or the, they bring out their little, eyepiece their little light and everything i've seen that a lot well you know for a little while i was carrying a lighted magnifying glass and i like that because some of the cards the text is really small and it was just made it a little easier for me especially like scrutinizing like for like sometimes you can't see creases too well on like some of the cards especially like some of the older cards that kind of have like you know, like I think like old Parkhurst cards, it kind of helped me with that a little bit. But I wasn't like examining the card, like, is it going to grade a 10? It was just like, sometimes I just need help either reading the fine print or just seeing if there's any little creases that I should be aware of. I just don't like surprises. I like to know what I'm buying. And if it's, I mean, I bought a um, Ted Lindsay Parkhurst rookie and it had a crease. And that's fine. I knew what I was buying. I'd rather know about it beforehand than afterwards, you know? <laughs> when you put yeah. it on your scanner and you scan it to put on Twitter and it's like, oh, look at that crease. I didn't notice when I bought the card. Yeah, I could see that. My only use for that is kind of like you. I'm losing my eyesight the older I get and looking at the bottom of cards, especially when I'm looking for if it has one asterisk or two asterisk or, you know, that kind of thing. I can't see anymore. <laughs> Yeah. Did you know how much I love that? Yep. Hey, I'm still trying to get all the two asterisk variants of the 7374 tops insert stickers. I need one card and I'll have them all, or one sticker, and I'll have all the single asterisk and all the double asterisk variations. So I, nice. I get you. All right, let's talk about 2022-23 Upper Deck Series 1. These came out in November, so you got... 24 packs per box, eight cards per pack. Get an average of six young guns per box. 
going to spend about four or five dollars a pack or about a hundred dollars per hobby box. Retail boxes a little less. Of course, you have your blaster boxes, your mega boxes, your collector tins, you know, your fat packs, many different ways of buying series one. You know, and it's the typical 200 base cards, 198 players and two checklists and 50 short printed young gun rookie cards, actually 49 players and one young guns checklist. Some of the, the big name rookies, we got Matt Boldy, Olwyn Power and Maddie Beneers are all in series one. Uh, anybody else you want to mention that I'm probably overlooking that are probably obvious? Yeah, I mean, one comment I can make to this is one criticism I've seen of a lot of people is the firepower in this Young Guns checklist. And I laugh at that because I can immediately tell the people that have no idea and don't watch hockey are the people that are complaining. Because, yeah, you do have a Matt Boldy card in here. You do have Matty Beneers. But if you look at this list of rookies that are included with these young guns obviously not counting the checklist so 49 of them there are six players in the top 20 in scoring right now for rookies so of all of the rookie class for this season six out of the top 20 are in this pile but keep in mind there's a lot of rookies that are considered rookies this year in the nhl that had cards last year, even a couple with cards the year before, because they haven't played enough games, so they get still considered to be rookies. But if you look strictly off of scoring, Matty Beneers leads the leads all rookies in scoring. Um, Matthias Maselli is number two. He's also on this list. You got Jack Quinn on here. He's number four right mm-hmm. now. You got Kent Johnson, who's number seven right now. So just out of the top 10 scorers, four of them are in this checklist. And you also have Owen Power, who's 15th right now. And you have Noah Cates, who's 18th right now. So like I said, out of the top 20, there's six out of this list. So those detractors to the quality of this checklist, I laugh at you because this is a good checklist for a Series 1 product. And that's nice for a change because we look back at 2021 now in retrospect that had a really good rookie class especially in series one Alexi Lafreniere was the most exciting rookie when 2021 upper deck came out but then you had a lot of other great rookies who made names for themselves kind of later on but at the time that was the only card everybody well not everybody you know who I mean the the investors were starting to really speculate with that like oh Alexei Lafreniere he's going to be great that was the one card I couldn't keep in stock at the 2021 national people would just come up to me and be like oh you got Lafreniere and they'd buy his card any card that I had of his not necessarily a young gun and they weren't necessarily hockey fans buying it they were just like oh this kid's gonna be great I'm gonna buy that rookie card right I guess the point that I'm making is it's nice that this set right out of the gate has a few exciting rookies to chase after. And I always think that makes it a little more fun to buy the cards. You can even go and look and run down the rest of the list. If you look at the top 10 rookies right now that are in the league, I mean, Shane Pinto is number two right now. If you just go by goals, you know, he's further down the list. I think he's number nine when it comes to total points. But Shane Pinto, his rookie was last year's. 
Cole Perfetti is another one. His rookie was last year. Uh, you got Kalen Addison, Mason McTavish. Those rookies were last year. So really, what we're waiting for here is we've got a few guys that haven't shown up yet, like Wyatt Johnston is a big name for Dallas. Great player. He's shown a lot of potential. He'll probably be in series two, if I was to guess. And, you know, Montreal's pick with Juraj Slavkovsky, I'm sure that's saved for series two. You know, meanwhile, guys, again, like J.J. Paterka, he was in last year's set. Within the last couple of years, most of these rookies, you know, they're out there. I really think that this rookie class and maybe even last year's rookie class are pretty good, pretty comparable as far as how guys have performed thus far. I really like this checklist. I think Series 2 will be just as good. Just to give uh, a little perspective here on the insert sets, I want to just talk a little bit about the inserts. And then we're going to talk about the design, too, because I got some thoughts about the base design this year. But the inserts, okay, deep breath. We got 94-95 SP rookie die cuts and die cut reds, which were Black Friday blaster pack inserts. Then we have attacking zone, center of attention, center of attention gold, clear cut foundations, clear cut under members, clear cut leaders, day with the cup flashbacks, dazzlers blue, green, orange, pink, red, debut dates, defense mechanism, defense mechanism gold. Not sure if I like the name defense mechanism for uh, an insert set, but I see what they were doing there. Fanimation, freestyles, and then freestyles, gold and red. Home ice, honor roll, honor roll, rainbow, rainbow gold, and rainbow red. Jumbos, OPG, glossy, bronze and gold, and I guess silver. Population count one, and then 10, 25, 50, 100, 500, and 1,000. So that many different versions of the population count inserts. Rookie class, rookie class red, rookie retrospective, rookie retrospective gold. Snow spray autographs, sophomore sensations which were, I guess, in the starter boxes. UD Canvas, UD Canvas Black and White, UD Portraits, UD Portraits Gold. So that's 48 different insert sets, not counting printing plates. I know some of these are parallel versions of insert sets, but damn, that's a lot of insert sets. Do we really need Honor Roll, Honor Roll Rainbow, Honor Roll Rainbow Gold, and Honor Roll Rainbow Red? I mean, it just hurts me to say that so many times. What was the one you said? Snow spray? Is that one? Yeah, snow spray autographs. Those were an unannounced insert. Oh, and by the way, then there's also clear cut French UD exclusives number to 100, UD exclusives clear cuts, and UD high gloss, which are numbered out of 10. And then there's the suits slash street clothes parallels, where it just shows the guys in their regular clothes walking to the rink, walking into the rink or whatever. Plus, you'll have your gold, your gold parallel, your silver parallel, your rainbow parallels that'll all come from EPAC, too. So, oh, yeah, those, right? Yeah. There's definitely a lot. You know, I know the Fanimation ones, those were unannounced. Yep. And the Home Ice ones were unannounced. Yep. But other, and the Snow Spray, which I'd never even heard of those. So, other than those, everything else was on the checklist that I remember. And yeah, you're right. Honor Roll is getting kind of stale even though they only brought it back a year or two ago. Because I think it's, I don't know. It's portrait. It's like a portrait, basically. So you, uh, you have portraits and you have honor rolls. And it's just, just like last year, it was just like, okay, we have portraits and we have honor rolls. 
And I get it that the portraits that they did were sepia toned and the honor rolls were kind of more that, you know, riffing off that early 2000s design. You know, this year, again, we have different looks for portraits and for honor roll. I kind of like the uh, portrait design this year. It's eye-catching. It's yellow and black. It's got diagonal lines. It's got the player cut out. I kind of like it. To me, it's kind of nifty. Honor roll and a lot of these other ones, I feel like I could take or leave. I mean, center of attention, I look at this and I go, oh, wow, look, it looks like 0506 Ice. They look like the Ice premieres. They definitely do. And also Um, the um, Shining Stars. Well, and that's what I was going to bring up. They have a set just for centers. They call it center of attention, but all the shining stars, that's what the themes of those were. You had the center, you had wing. So really it's just, okay, here's the same set, but we just call it something else. Yeah. In, I that, mean, it in the look, case of that. It doesn't look exactly like those designs, but that's no. kind of what I thought of when I saw them. I said, oh, it looks like shining stars and or ice premieres from 0506. Yeah, and like the debut dates, they've been doing those for a while. That's just a regular occurrence. The Dazzlers, I don't know. They were cool, and then they were still kind of cool. And now I'm like, okay, man, I'm done. I'm kind of done with the Dazzlers, but I mean, I get it. People like shiny, and they like colors, and they like you know to be able to put together their rainbows and all that kind of stuff. So I definitely get it. I'm just like. How many times can you recycle the same thing and make it look almost identical every single year? You know what? I don't mind Dazzlers. People like them. They're eye-catching. They're way more interesting than some of these other inserts. I mean, debut dates, okay, are on silver foil board and they're shiny also. I I think I kind of like Dazzlers because at least they're, I hate to say colorful because that's so obvious, but... I think it's cool that they have the different colored versions of them because it's a nice looking insert. And I have no motivation to track them all down, but I'll pick a player or two that I like and try to get all of that player's dazzlers. And I mean, I think that's kind of fun, but I get it. You're kind of tired of it. Like I think in 2021, we said, hey, these look really great. And in 2122, I don't know if you felt this way, but I was like, wow, they upped it. They made it look even better somehow. Yeah, last year's design looked better. Yeah, I mean, this year, I kind of like in the background, they have like, at first I thought it was like binary computer code, but it looks like little blips on like a scoreboard type thing. Like the little pixel boxes. Yeah, yeah. It, look, it has kind of like a pixely, like I thought like, oh, is that like matrix code? Nope, is that binary code? Is that like an old school Jumbotron that was made up of little bitty lights? You know, I mean, it doesn't matter. It just looks neat. I think but, it's a close-up of a disco ball. That's it. That That's that's exactly what it is. Thank you. Yes, because it's curved. So then the other thing I thought was I thought maybe it was like a close-up of the Stanley Cup, and those were like the names etched. But then when I looked closer, I said, no, it's not. So, yeah, definitely got to be a disco ball. This makes sense for a name. Uh, an insert set named Dazzlers. Now, now I think I might not like it even more. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, last year's design, I think, was better than the first year. I think now we're just taking the same thing, and here it is again. But again, I get it. Rainbow chasing is hot, so we have to appeal to that because you're going to get more people that are going to go after them that way. What do you think about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air inserts, freestyles? 
they're okay. I feel like with some of these inserts, they just don't push them far enough. I feel like these are kind of gimmicky. I feel like these would be something that you would find more, like Tops would do these. That's what I kind of feel like. You know, they kind of remind me of like those, um, was it the 94, 95, like one of those sets that had a goalie in front of a brick wall and they had like their name spray painted on it. I guess this is fine. They're different. They're different. They're not something I would collect. Now, you know, I loved the portraits from 2021 that everybody called the Saved by the Bell design. Right. I guess this is no different. Instead of doing early 90s, this is mid 90s. And I think that's okay to each their own. I think yeah, they're my fine. Problem... They're just a little gimmicky to me. That's all. Yeah, but aren't a lot of these kind of gimmicky? There's a line, I think. It's one thing it's gimmicky if it's a recurring theme and you go it over and over and over again. This is a new one. They never had these before. This was kind of a new thing, and it jumped in like, this doesn't fit the mold of anything else in the product. This is just like a totally off-the-wall thing. And I was just like, wow. When I saw that, like, where did this come from? Because <laughs> it didn't seem to match. Now, if they had these out the same year that they did the Saved by the Bell portrait cards, it would make sense because mm-hmm. they were going for something. I feel like it's out of place. Maybe that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's out of place. This could have been in a different set, not this one. Here's a question for you, though. If a base set is 200 cards and the Freestyles insert set is 50 cards, is that kind of big for an insert set? I mean, that's 25% of the base set size. I'm not talking about like a parallel set. And I know that like the UD canvas is like its own special set that you know has its own separate checklist that doesn't follow you know the regular base set but i feel like these insert sets are a little too big and that's why i don't collect them they're like 10 to 20 cards i'd probably try to get most of them at least not the gold versions but just the regular versions but like you know when you have like an insert set and it's like 50 cards and you have another insert set and it's like 50 cards and then it's just like i mean you could fill an entire binder with just inserts from series one yeah i mean if you're trying to do like a master set or something like that you've got honor roll it's 50 cards you've got the freestyles that are 50 cards you've got the dazzlers are 50 cards the portraits are 40 cards so i mean might as well be 50 at that point and some of the other ones are 25 so you know just the bigger insert sets where you get more frequent hits out of those out of a box or packs yeah Easily, you could take up a whole box of pages, put those in a binder. What if the freestyles, what if that was designed for, say, MVP for this year? The Instead base of design? The M- yeah, why not? Wouldn't that have been rad? No. Uh-uh. Why? Because MVP no. always has to look the same every single year? Yes, it has to. We fear change. What if they did a set called Upper Deck Retro and they used the Freestyles design for that? And instead of the big Freestyles logo, it put the player's name in like that graffiti font. For an entire set? Yeah, why not? I don't know if I could take that for an entire set. Somebody would like it. So, Oh, yeah. I'm sure there'd be plenty of people that would like it. There'd be plenty of people that would hate it, too. <laughs> I can tell you that. I see what you're saying. Like, you know, my point of this probably shouldn't be in this product because it doesn't seem to fit. Move it over to a different product. Like, maybe this isn't like 
flagship material. Maybe this should be in a lesser product. I get it. I don't know that this could be a base card, though. It's more of an insert. Let's talk about the base cards. I wanted to talk about the base card design ever since I opened up my box of these. And I looked and I was just like, what? Oh, by the way, we kind of got our goofy photos coming back. Not for Canvas. That's its own thing. And I think Canvas has way too many photos of players from behind. Like I have a Canvas card of Thomas Hurdle. And it's his back and he's celebrating. And then I have a card of Connor McDavid and it's his back and he's celebrating. And I'm like, that's not a really interesting card. There's nothing great about the back of the player. Maybe you put that on the back of the card because it might be an interesting shot, even though it's a shot from behind. But on the front of the card, it looks dumb. But unlike the base cards, we're starting to get interesting photos again because we don't have pictures from the covid not the covid era we're still in the covid era but like the bubble hockey or even like when they were just playing without any fans the seats were either empty or covered with tarps you know so it just felt very like you kind of had like the same camera angles probably because they had photographers only in very specific places and now you're getting more of a variety of the photos like I'm looking at Adam Henrique. You're like looking up at him and you can see like other players in the background. It almost looks like he's about to sit on a tiny teammate in the background. It's like those goalkeeper pictures that they used to do a lot. Yeah, I don't mind that here. I get tired of seeing the goalie's ass. That's what the goal cam should just be called goalie ass. And it's 50 cards, even though there's only really 30 goalies in the league. But you know what I mean, right? Like, I don't mind the low shots goalie cam pictures if it's like of game action. So we're getting some better quality and variety of photos. My big problem with this set is I don't like the design and I can't put my finger on it. Why? It feels to me like it's an AHL design from like five years ago. Maybe it is. Maybe I need to find my 15, 16 AHL set and see if they just cribbed their old design. I don't know. I'm not saying that they did and they could, they're welcome to do that. I mean, Upper Deck cribs its own designs all the time and that's okay. That's their designs. But I look at this, it just doesn't feel like an Upper Deck Series 1 set to me. And I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because the player name is small. Maybe it's because it has that little bit of fading at the bottom, like it fades out the photo. I feel like Upper Deck designs are always bold where like you have like the player name is bigger and there's like either a color stripe with like the team color and like the player's name or like they've been doing like vertical stripes down the side the last couple of years. And I really like that design choice. Couldn't this almost be like a baseball card, like a tops baseball design? I know it has a hockey player on it. Do you see what I'm getting at or no? Yeah. The same reason why you don't like it is the reason why I do like it. Which is? They've finally almost eliminated anything that's text-based on the front because of the way the design is set up. It's almost wall-to-wall player on the card photo, or like the, the whole card design. They put the team name against gray, and it's impossible to read. In fact, I didn't even realize that it had the team name and that little gray stripe next to the black stripe with the player name in it. Whereas before there'd be border piece and not border, but you'd have some type of offset 
for the typefaces and the team logo and that kind of thing. This is virtual. I mean, it's so far down on the card, it's almost off the card. So it's like the very, very edge. So you get mostly more photo. To me, if you want to talk about what this would potentially remind me of, I would say this is like an early 2000s stadium club. Mm. Uh, to go yeah, back I see to, that. Yeah, to go back to mentioning tops again. And I can't pinpoint the year off the top of my head, but I'm going to say either 01 um, or maybe 02. Maybe. Yeah, because, but it'd be in reverse because there was one set where it's full bleed photo, but at the top, there's a gray stripe across the top and it has the player mm -hmm. name and stuff in it. So I feel like that's kind of the same, same setup, I guess. But I like that. I like to have as much space for the photo as mm -hmm. possible and have the logo not a detractor from the image i guess we've gotten so used to seeing it though that this is kind of shocking when you first look at it you're like wow this is different mm -hmm. and that was my initial impression of it when i first saw it was that it's different what do the backs look like i haven't looked at the backs the backs are kind of standard the backs almost feel like they could be sp authentic Oh, it's like yeah. five lines of stats, a, a, a yeah. biographical blurb, a headshot, like the same headshot, and then the logo. Essentially, it looks like the back of every upper deck release. Yeah, and that's <laughs> Any, another anymore. thing, too. Is that series one, series two, an extended series would have up to 20 lines of stats. 20 years in a total. Because I remember, like Joe Thornton, it had his complete stats going back to 97, 98. And Patrick Marlowe, it have his complete stats, and and now they're just doing five. And so I feel like even Upper Deck Series One, Series Two has lost its uniqueness in like this is the set that has all of the stats on the back. Now it's just like here's five lines of stats because we really want to tell you that he had a three assist performance against the Kings on March 10th. Yay! Yeah. And depending on what they do with Opeechi this year, I mean, those have traditionally had most of the stats on the back, but not a blurb. They don't really have as much of the blurbs of the, about the player, especially when they have a lot more stats. So maybe Upper Deck is kind of going away from that, and they're focusing more on the, I don't know what you would call that, the human interest portion of it rather mm -hmm. than the statistical portion of it. I don't well, know. you could get stats anywhere. You could go on Hockey DB and get stats. You could go to right. Hockey Reference and get stats. You could go to right. NHL.com and get stats. Stats are not as hard to come by as they were 30 years ago when you relied on those cards to tell you the statistics. Which really shocks me up to this point now that they haven't just thrown a QR code in the back and linked it to the NHL's website of the player statistics, because you know the NHL site's not going to go down, and I'm sure it's going to be there for a lot longer than some fly-by-night statistical website would be. So right. just scan the QR code, and it takes you to the player's page, and boom, done. You could use the whole back for something else. I don't mind the back having vitals and stats. I really don't mind that. When you are collecting a sports trading card, you're collecting a snapshot of the time. So this is what the player looked like 
the previous season. This is a uniform that he wore the previous season. These are his statistics to date. Here's his information to date. That's what it is. It's a snapshot. I mean, look, whenever you see somebody on Twitter, it's always on Twitter. And it's always like, I'm not going to name names, but they're always like, oh, look at these old hockey cards of the players from their junior teams, right? Like, here's Chris Pronger on the Peets. Look at that terrible haircut, right? And it's just like, yeah, okay, haha, dude, we get it. You think you're cool because you opened a pack of OHL cards from 91, right? Whereas, like, you and I, like, actually opened those packs back in the 90s. But I guess the point that I'm making is that they were a snapshot of the time. And I feel like the stats are a part of that as well. And I feel like... Why not just have a QR code on the front that just links to a player's picture on the web? I was being facetious when I said that. I know that, that didn't come across, but in today's day and age, you could do both. With the amount of space that's on the back, sure, you have the little bit on the top with the bio, their little photo. You got a snapshot of stats. You got two sentences about them. And then at the very bottom of the card, you got the copyright information. Why not slap a small QR code right there? And then there you go. If you want the rest of the stat, here's five years and a total. If you want the rest, scan this. There you go. That's kind Kill of two a cool birds idea, with one actually. Stone. Kill two birds with one stone. You can appease the tech-savvy people and also those of us that still need magnifying glasses to read the backs of cards. Well, at least they made the words Young Guns pretty well pronounced on the front of the Young Guns cards. I feel like the Young Gun card design we've seen before. I'm not sure, though. I feel like it looks very familiar. I kind of struggle to remember which year is which with Young Guns from like 99 to like 2004. Well, four or five, that was the weird year where they didn't have any rookies. So they did like Mike Keenan and Cami Granato and Kobe Baker and people like that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't look like anything from the past 15 years, really. Yeah, I'm not sure. It just looked really familiar when I first saw it. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if other people have figured that out yet or not. Well, I thought it was what was funny. Was it the uh, was it the 2000? Was it nine, ten, or ten, eleven that had the marquee rookies that had like at the bottom it said rookies and it was like diagonal and somebody pointed out that it was like an old tops basketball design but it was being repurposed for OPG because it had like the name that was kind of like trying the team name that was like triangular shaped you know what I'm talking about yeah you see these design ideas from other sets get incorporated into newer sets and it seems kind of fresh because it's new to you or you haven't seen it in 30 years or it hasn't been done in 30 years. I like the design. I just can't put my finger on where I've seen it before. When you opened a box, did you get any of the black and white canvas? Nope, just the regular canvas. I didn't even know about the black and white canvas till I compiled this exhaustive list of inserts. I think the black and white ones look pretty nice. Because they go black and white and that canvas material looks like newspaper. They almost look like wire photos, but wire photos printed on cloth just because of the texture. I think they look cool, but they're hard to pull. You know that. I think you only get maybe like a couple in a case. I don't think there's that many. They're tough. I will say this. I do not like the population count cards. I think they're absolutely silly. They, they, essentially designed them to look like a graded card. Like it's a card in a slab. And then I don't know what they were doing, trying to make it so, okay, this is a one, 
population count of one. So there's only one of these. Okay, I get it. It's not one of one. It's not stamped one of one. It just says one. Then there's 10. Then there's 25. There's it reminds me of wildcard or wildcard mm -hmm. back in like the early one 90s. One of 10,000. And they would give you the cards with the stripes and you'd send them in. And if you got one with a stripe that said a thousand, you send it in and you, they'd give you a thousand cards back. And wow. that, was, that was the whole thing of wildcard. That's kind of what these are. So if you get the thousand, well, you'll know that there's a thousand of those. It's not numbered any specific number out of a thousand, but there are a thousand of them. If you get the one that says one, then that's the only one there is. That's my understanding. Huh. But I just think they, they look like a slab. And I'm like, why do we need this? You know, Topps already made those cards where it was like throwback cards, where it was like, mm -hmm. hey, look, here's this card. And but there's a border around it that says, you know, like through the years or whatever. And then yeah. people are trying to sell them as, hey, look at this. You know, how many people are going to be like, hey, look, we got this new graded card, Upper Decks grading cards now. And they're going to try to pass it off as a graded card. Not that they would do that. That's kind of stupid, but people will do anything anymore. But I think it's silly. I well, get it's it. standard it's... card size, so no one's going to mistake it. Oh, you can always manipulate the picture and stretch it. Well, okay. I mean, you're saying if somebody saw a picture of it on eBay, but like in person. Yeah, I think they're silly. Somebody had a great idea in their head, and then I don't know that it was executed. Well, look, art imitates life. So grading is here to stay. Grading is super popular. So to make a insert set that is basically looks like graded cards, that just kind of makes sense. I'm not saying I like it or dislike it. I'm just saying that it kind of makes sense because it's such a thing in the hobby now. So it's kind of funny that it acknowledges that. Funny is a good word. Yeah. I mean, if you have a set called population count and you have you know, population count 10, then they should be numbered one through 10. Not just, oh, there's 10 of them. How do we know there's 10 of them? Because they said so. I mean, yeah, because they said so, right? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the idea behind it. Uh, it reminds me of a toy company I worked for where we made these die-cast cars that had a very rabid fan base. And we would do them as holiday ornaments and we would like number them out of 500 or something but one year we like numbered them out of 500 but then we made like more of them and also numbered them out of 500 and so then the collectors were like checking notes with each other it's like i have number 168 out of 500 well i also have number 168 out of 500 and i won't say we got in trouble for it because you know it's a toy company and they could do whatever they want but there is definitely something disingenuine about like saying it's limited to 500 pieces, but then actually making a thousand of them and numbering them one through 500 and then numbering the other series one through 500. And it's the same thing. Or like, oh, I don't know. If I have card 38 out of 50 and I send it in to get graded and it comes back with a grade I don't like and I crack it out, send it to a different company and now they have a 38 out of 50 graded and then it doesn't come back the way I like it. So I crack it out of that, send it back to the original company and all of a sudden it gets a higher grade. Now there's three 38s out of 50 graded with two different companies. Huh. Yeah. But that never happens. Did you get any of the home ice out of your? No. Oh, I want to get my hands on those. Those are sweet. 
They're the most innocently plain, stupid looking cards where it's uh-huh. just a, a random vector graphic that just says home ice. And it's a picture of an ice rink. Hmm. But I think there's a lot of people that didn't realize when they first saw these that these cards are glow in the dark. And when you shut off the lights, they light up. So whatever team you have in the face-off circles, all of a sudden a different graphic appears. And it's like a banner. Like if you had a team who won a Stanley Cup, it'd be a picture of a Stanley Cup banner. And then the other mm-hmm. side is like a blurb about a player or something like that. But they're glowing in the dark. I thought that was cool. That's a cool design. That's a cool idea. I think it is at least. Oh, but yeah. Having it, the hidden the hidden um, message when it glows in the dark. But I will tell you this. Resale on these right now. Oh, man. Other people have the same idea, obviously, because they're selling for a lot. What, the home ice? Yeah. Yep. Sure are. Just wait. People move on. Or the market gets saturated with them by the time they're on EPAC. We'll see. It was an unannounced insert set, so we'll never know how many of each of them there are. This is true. I have seen most of the teams available, at least one of them. I had a bid in on the Penguins one, and I bid twenty bucks for it, and I lost. It sold for like two hundred and seventy. Wow, <laughs> so, too rich for my blood. Yeah, so I was out <laughs> at that point. But I think they're cool. It's a cool concept. I think they should do more like that. Yeah, I mean, it's like the glow shift cards that were in synergy. I tried buying those, and they would go for more than I want to spend. I'm not going to spend 50, 60 bucks on a card just because it glows in the dark, unless it's like a player I'm collecting. But still, it's like a neat gimmick. Kind of brings me back to the 80s and 90s when glow in the dark and holograms were like two of the coolest things ever. Yeah, I like it. I think it's a good idea. Tops did it with Alan and Ginter in their, um, their one mini set that was like, I forget what it was like, called. Like, wasn't monsters, like things in your closet or something? Yeah, like or monsters under the bed or things in your closet or what scares you or something like that. But that whole set was glow in the dark. I put that set together because I thought it was mm. fun. But these would be cool if I could justify 50 to $300 a piece for them. Yeah, well, collecting's a long game. It's not a I'm going to build this whole set in a weekend kind of thing. It's Absolutely. I'm going to picking away at this for years hope to find one at a show for a good price make a trade for one with somebody i know maybe pull one from a pack maybe find one for cheap on ebay maybe pick one up in a lot that's what collecting is right you acquire these cards in different ways that's kind of what makes it fun i mean it's also fun to just outright buy what you want but if they're expensive, sometimes you got to be a little patient. If they're expensive and you don't have deep pockets or the deepest of pockets, then you have to be a little patient and a little resourceful. You have to grind, if you will. Oh, and we come full circle. So I think we should end it here. Works for me. I'm ground up. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Puck Junk. Tim is at the real DFG. If you want to support this show, please consider buying a t-shirt at shop.puckjunk.com. And until next time, collect what you like and grind all the time. Peace.
for more hockey goodness. Follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.